0: You are listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From October 27, 2019 at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. The text is Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. Well, good morning and welcome to the Clearwater chapter meeting of Right Oholics Anonymous. My name's Rhonda and I'm a Right Oholic. Hi. Rhonda. Hi. <laughs> 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 it's been, oh, zero days since I was convinced of my own rightness and another's wrongness. You see, I'm addicted to. To being right. You can ask my husband about that. (laughs) You don't have to agree with me, really. You don't. Just this week, I was in the office and I was talking with Bob Prass, the chair of our property team, and Rick Fry, our facilities manager, and we were talking about something that we had to purchase for the church. And I looked at Rick and I said, well, you have the printout of the product description, right? He said, no, I gave it to you. I said, no, 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 you still have it. No, I gave it to you. No, I'm sure you still have it. He said, I gave it to you, Rhonda. I said, fine, I'll go look on my desk to see if I can find it because have you seen my desk? Things tend to get lost there. Anyway, so I went to my desk, and what do you know? There it was. So I picked it up, and I carried it back to the office, and I handed it to Rick, and I said, you were right. And he said, What? Can, can you repeat that? I can, can I get a witness? Did you guys hear that? She said, I'm right. You see, I'm addicted to being right. I believe it was me that was in the crowd that day when Jesus was talking to a group of rightaholics. And I think I saw some of you there too. See, Jesus. In talking to the people there, if you kind of read between the lines, and actually, no, it's stated explicitly, there were those who were there who were convinced of their own righteousness, their own moral superiority. They were right-aholics. And so Jesus introduced to them a story to try to correct this behavior. And the story started like this. He said, so there were... Two men who went to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. And with that, he had them hooked. You see, already they've made a judgment because Jesus gave these men in the story a label. The first, a Pharisee. And that crowd, a Pharisee would have been morally upstanding, righteous, an exemplar, a Pharisee. And then he also used the label a tax collector. And those who heard Jesus that day would have probably instinctively snarled their nose. Some of you guys keep really good poker face. I am not one of them. You can read my face. And too often that snarl just happens. Well, that happened in the crowd that day, I'm certain. They snarled their nose when they heard the word tax collector. A thief, a traitor, a robber, an extortionist tax collector. But with Jesus and with most of the parables that he tells, he hooks them and then he twists it. And so in this story, the hook was certainly there. He, he had them thinking the Pharisee was the exemplar and the tax collector was the problem. But it turns out in this story, it wasn't the tax collector that was the problem at all. The problem was the Pharisee's superiority complex. Oh Lord, I thank thee. You have to use King James English when you're the Pharisee, right? I thank thee that I'm not like these other people, these sinners. (laughs) Oh Lord, you know that I go to church almost every Sunday, except when the Bucks are playing in London. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, caught (laughs) you. Oh, Lord, you know that I put money in the offering plant every Sunday, and sometimes I even put a little extra in the blue offering envelope. Oh, Lord, you know that, Lord, that I recycle. And, Lord, you know that it's been over two weeks since I used a plastic straw. (laughs) Sorry. Thought I'd have a little fun there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the tax collector. So Jesus pointed out that that's a this problem. A little self-righteousness going on there. A little superiority complex, a little arrogance, the absence of humility. Now, as a self-professed right-oholic, I've got some opinions. And my opinions are right. And you want to know what's wrong with America these days? Somebody say, preach it, sister. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Thank you, finally. You want to know what's wrong with America these days? Is we're a nation full of right-aholics. My opinion's correct on this, trust me. But if you don't, maybe you can trust the data. A couple of weeks ago, the Pew Research Center published a report about the attitudes that are fueling our political divide. Anybody notice that lately? Here's what they found. When asked to describe the morality of politicians based on party affiliation, is she going there? Yeah, she's going there. 55% of Republicans say Democrats are more immoral 64% that they are more closed-minded. And 63% that they are less patriotic than other U.S. citizens. But Democrats don't feel too smug for too long. Democrats' views of Republicans were no more charitable, with 47% saying Republicans are more immoral, 75% that they are more closed-minded, and 38% that they are less intelligent than other Americans. Where's the humility? You think that might be a problem today? In the words of Anne Lamott, we can safely assume That we have fashioned God in our image when God hates all the same people that we do. So, in this story that Jesus tells, he's trying to get his listeners to imagine that the enemy is the one that's justified before God. What does that take in order to imagine the enemy as the one justified before God? It takes a little bit of humility, doesn't it? My old seminary professor used to say, dare to think you're wrong. I wonder why he said that to a bunch of smug seminarians. I can't, I don't know why he might have said that. Dare to think you're wrong. But in this story, there is hope. Because Jesus gives us the model of how maybe we should be. Remember the tax collector? Standing far off, not even raising his head to heaven, beating his chest, self-mortification, saying, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. It's almost as if humility is the way that we're supposed to approach God in prayer, isn't it? And isn't it ironic that it's the tax collector that offers us this model? There's an ancient prayer. It's called the Jesus Prayer. And those of you that, uh, some, some of you may have been raised in Eastern Christianity, Orthodox tradition and others, that you may be more familiar with this ancient prayer called the Jesus Prayer. And it's been said, uh, it's thought that the desert fathers maybe introduced this prayer. And the idea is to say this prayer over and over and over again, hundreds of times a day perhaps. And you begin with saying it with your lips. And then you move to saying it in your mind and then eventually in your heart so that we can live into what the Apostle Paul said to pray without ceasing. How do you do that, that a prayer becomes so much a part of who you are? And the prayer goes like this, and it's formulaic. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say with your lips and then in your mind and then into your heart. I invite you to say it after me couple of times. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. Son, of God, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. Son, of God, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Me, let's, put, let's put it all together. Ready? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you see how praying that over and over again, a hundred times, might help you in the area of humility? Whenever I read this story in the Bible, I can't help but think back to that day when I got the phone call that my dear friend's 13-year-old son killed himself. And I went to her home, and I spent most of the day with her there at her kitchen table. As People would call, and people would stop by and offer their condolences. And, and I was there when her preacher came in. And this was a well-known preacher in the city. Big steeple, you might call it. And he came in with a couple of his associate pastors, kind of like an entourage, and he came in, and he was wearing a a suit, coat and tie, and his hair was perfectly coiffed. He carried a big Bible, I think in his left hand, and he said nice things, and he offered a nice prayer, and when he left, the room felt emptier than when he had gotten there. And then a little bit later, within the hour probably, one of my husband's friends stopped by. It was a friend of his from Alcoholics Anonymous, from the meeting. And he came in, and he was wearing a T-shirt and shorts, kind of disheveled. And he came in the door, and he immediately embraced his friend and wept with his friend. And the tears flowed, and they held each other and wept together. And he didn't have perfectly polished words, and he didn't say it, a prayer. And when he left, I felt like I wished that the church was a little bit more like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Who demonstrated the love of God? Was it the preacher? Or was it the guy in recovery? As a self professed right a I hope you don't hear me using that phrase in any sort of diminutive way with Alcoholics Anonymous, because I think it takes tremendous courage and tremendous humility to go to a meeting to say, Hi, my, my name is Rhonda, I've got a problem. So nothing but respect for that and other recovery programs. And maybe you're a little bit like me, and maybe you wish that the church was a little less, had a little less pretense and a little more authenticity, more like an AA meeting. So if you happen to find yourself with me a, a right-aholic, imagine there's a couple of others in the room. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it exhausting? Isn't it exhausting to always have to be right? This question resonated with the American public and beyond this past year uh, because it was posed in a similar way in a song that became the Academy Award winner song for the best original song. song's by Lady Gaga. Here's some of the lyrics. Bradley Cooper singing to Lady Gaga here. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? Lady Gaga back says, tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired of trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? We're far from the shallow now. So, fellow writer doesn't it take too much energy being right all the time? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Maybe there's freedom in daring to think you might be wrong. Maybe there's peace. Maybe there's even love. When we dare to think we're wrong, we move from the shallow into the depths of God's ocean, where rights and wrongs fade away and we become one in God's creation, one with each other, one with all of God's creation. So, my confession is this. My name is Rhonda and I'm a -a rightaholic. It's been hmm, zero days since I've been right and somebody else has been wrong, but I'm here today because I want to do better. I want to do better. Do you? Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.